Claret. Well, a critic can say almost anything he wants to say. A critic can say how that God never parted of the Red Sea. That's where the children of Israel marched so that the water was only four inches deep. I recall again that old boy in the seminary whose professor gave that explanation, who jumped up and said, Glory to God, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And the professor said, What in the world is wrong with you? And he said, That is a greater miracle than I ever realized because God drowned the whole Egyptian army in four inches of water. Well, a critic can say that God never gave manna in the wilderness. That all it was was sap oozing from a desert plant and it was nutritional. A critic can say that Jesus never rose from the dead, that the disciples were just hallucinating. A critic can say that Paul was not converted on the road to Damascus, but that he had a sunstroke, he had a fit, he had a nervous breakdown. But prophecy is a different story altogether. If the prediction comes to pass, what can the critics say against it? Well, the answer to that question, beloved, is found in history. Satan never uses any new devices. He uses the same old ones over and over again. He never sets any new traps. He never sets any new snares. He just keeps using the same old ones over and over again. He keeps using the same old arguments year in and year out. And the higher critics today have absolutely nothing new to report. We've heard all of their arguments in the past and they just rewrite and repeat the conclusions of the heathen philosophers that preceded them. And the modern infidel repeats the objections of Porphyria. Now Porphyria was born in 233 A.D. in Tyre, Assyria, and he became a bitter and an avowed enemy of Christianity. And Porphyry wrote some 15 books entitled Against Other Christians. Now he directed his attack against the Word of God, thinking if you destroy the Word of God, you destroy a Christianity, our men's faith in God. And he directed specifically his attack against the book of Daniel. And he said the book of Daniel is not a book of prophecy. It is a book of past history clothed in the garb of prophecy. That there never was a Daniel who lived during the Babylonian captivity. And the book of Daniel is a forgery. And that it was not written during the 6th century B.C., but rather it was written in 165 B.C. during the Maccabean period. So you see the events then called prophecy in the book of Daniel, he argues, is not prophecy at all, but it is history. It has already come to pass and in 165 B.C. someone sat down, wrote that history, gave it an earlier date, and called it prophecy. And then to strengthen their arguments, the critics also say 
and the modernists that stand in the pulpit that there never was a Belshazzar that ruled over the land of Babylon. And they'll quote Herotus. And Herotus, a historian, visited Babylon in 460 B.C. And he wrote of its glories. And in one of the messages that we're going to bring, we'll tell you of those glories of Babylon. It will take one sermon to describe that city alone. No wonder Nebuchadnezzar said, This great Babylon that I have built, it contained one of the wonders of the world. And then Herodotus goes on to mention the kings and the queens, but he never in that history mentions Belshazzar. And then the critics say, And neither do any other historians. Well, thank God for the archaeologists because while the discovery of the archaeologists does not confirm what is written upon the pages of God's Word, God's Word confirms the discovery of the archaeologists and the archaeologists have taken the critics of our day and they have thrown them into the white hot furnace of truth and the truth has consumed other critics. Now in the British Museum, there are a host of clay tablets that were taken from the ruins of ancient Babylon, discovered there by the Euphrates in the Mesopotamian Valley. And those clay tablets mention again and again the name of Belshazzar, and they begin to piece together uh, the history of that man. Time does not permit me to tell you all about Belshazzar, the history related in those clay tablets. But Belshazzar's father was Nabonidus. Nabonidus is the last recorded king of, of Babylon. And he was a man of culture. And he had a fondness for antiquity. And he loved to dig around in old ruins. And he loved to rebuild. He was a builder. And he loved to rebuild uh, temples. He had a daughter that was a priestess in one of those temples he rebuilt. And he spent most of his time in Tima in northern Arabia. But in his absence, an absence from Babylon most of the time, he left his son Belshazzar to reign upon the throne as king. And beloved, that's why when we come to the book of Daniel and the fifth chapter and the 16th verse, it says this. Belshazzar speaking to Daniel, And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing. And make known to me the interpretation thereof. Thou shalt be clothed with scarlet. Have a chain of gold about thy neck. And shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now notice verse 29. Then commanded Belshazzar. They clothed Daniel with scarlet. Put a chain of gold about his neck. And made a proclamation concerning him. That he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now why? The third ruler. Because Nabonidus was the king of Babylon. And Belshazzar, his son, was seated upon the throne in his absence. 
And Daniel could only be exalted to the third ruler in the kingdom you see. And this proves beyond any shadow of a doubt that all of the critics are wrong because if this book had been written when they said it was written by forger in the Maccabean period that he would not have known of Belshazzar. But it is obvious from the book of Daniel that this man Daniel is the author and was a contemporary of Belshazzar. And besides this, beloved, did not Jesus in the 24th chapter of Matthew speak of Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place? He didn't say Daniel the deceiver. He didn't say Daniel the forger. But Jesus said Daniel the prophet. Now I have said to you that the Bible stands our cause depending, beloved, upon the fulfillment of its prophecies to the chart and the tittle. If one prophecy fails, then there is no God. There is no church called the Bride of Christ. Jesus does not exist. And Christianity lies in shambles if one prophecy, just one prophecy fails. Simon Peter says something that is nothing short of astonishing. It is nothing short of being astounding. He says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, he refers to a more sure word of prophecy. Now notice what he says there in that first chapter. He speaks of the glories of the Messiah. And he says, we were with him in the holy mount. Peter, James, and John, there in the mount of transfiguration. And there on that mount, the deity of God shone through the veil of flesh. And there was a voice that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But Simon concludes by saying, we have something that is even more convincing than this. And we're startled at such a statement. And we ask how in the world could he suggest that something could be more convincing than what he witnessed there on that mount of transfiguration. Seeing, hearing, and God manifested through that veil of flesh that Jesus wore. What could be more convincing than that? And he answers, prophecy, prophecy is more convincing than what we witness on the Mount of Transfiguration. Don't discount prophecy. Now listen in closing. Why does God write these prophecies on the pages of his holy word? Why, beloved, the predictions? Why the visions and the revelations of the men of God as they reveal future events, things that are to come to pass? Listen to me carefully. First of all, they are there in order to deliver you and me from mistaken judgments. Let me tell you what I mean about mistaken judgments. In the book of Daniel, the ninth chapter, in the 26th verse, there is a prophecy. And the prophecy reads thusly, Wars are determined unto the end. Now what's he say? He's saying as long as you and I live on this earth, there's going to be wars and wars and wars 
and there's not going to be any peace until Jesus Christ comes again. Jeremiah walked through the streets of Jerusalem and he cried, War is coming. And the false prophets took to the streets and they cried, Peace, peace, peace. And Jeremiah got him a yoke and he put it upon his neck and he walked through the streets of Jerusalem crying aloud, Nebuchadnezzar is coming. The Chaldeans is coming. War is coming. Now who was correct? Just 65 years ago, this land of ours was filled with post-millennials. And the post-millennials were everywhere crying, Peace, peace, peace. They were saying our world is getting better and better and better. Just 65 years ago, you couldn't find a premillennialist anywhere. And they said the millennium is coming. And through the preaching of this gospel, we're going to convert the world. And by our own personal efforts, we're going to usher in the kingdom of our God. A group of devout Bible scholars met in Los Angeles, California, 1914, February 1914, for a prophetic conference. And in that prophetic conference, those Bible scholars said, nation shall rise against nation. And there's going to be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in divers places. And you'll hear of wars and wars and rumors of wars. And the editor of the Christian Advocate, now you listen to me, the editor of the Christian Advocate hearing of this meeting and the announcement, he ridiculed them and he said, that's not a prophetic conference that is a pathetic conference. But who's right? Less than six months later, the Archduke of Austria was assassinated and the world was plunged into flames of fury and floods of blood and America marched off to war and our president said, this is the war that's going to end all wars. And how shallow and hollow the words of our president. Shall I tell you about Hitler and Tojo and Korea and Vietnam? So you see, this is why God gives us prophecies in his word. Secondly, he gives us prophecies to deliver us from false persuasions. The sociologists for years all during my lifetime have been crying, the source of violence and crime in our world is poverty and the ghetto. And to solve the crime problem, we must solve the economic problems of our world. And when everyone in the world, in America, is rich and affluent, then there will be no more crimes. And the standard of living in America has risen and risen and risen until now a poor man in america is richer than a rich man in kenya but along with all of the rising wealth and affluence what else has risen crime and violence 
in this land has risen in epidemic proportion. And now the sociologists and the commentators on national television a few weeks ago say what we need is a depression to make people poor again so they can get back to work. And the way to end violence and crime is for people to be poor all over again. Can you believe that? They don't know what they believe. But the Word of God says the source of crime and evil is the human heart. There's where a problem lies. It is not in being rich. It is not in being poor. But it's the condition of the human heart. And the heart is the seedbed of violence and crime in America. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. God knows it. And God proposes to change the human heart. God proposes to give you a new heart through a new birth. Thirdly, God gives us these prophecies in order to comfort us and to give assurance to his people. Jesus said, be of good cheer, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. And brother, out of the violence, and out of the war, out of the rioting, and out of the bloodshed, God is going to preserve his people, and he's going to give to them the kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar, in this chapter, saw a great image call for Daniel to interpret the dream. <coughs> and Daniel does so. And he tells him of four coming world Gentile kingdoms. Now was there a Babylonian kingdom, a golden kingdom. Yes, just like God said there would be. Was there a Mede and a Persian kingdom? Yes, a kingdom of silver just like God said there would be. Was there a Grecian kingdom, a kingdom of brass? Yes, just like God said there would be. Was there an iron kingdom, the Roman kingdom? Yes, just like God said there would be. And then God said, no more kingdoms, no more world empires. Now, 2,600 years of history has tested that prophecy. Has there been any more world empires since the collapse of Rome? The barbarians that sacked Rome tried to establish a world empire, and they failed. Charlemagne tried to put Humpty Dumpty together again. And that has to do with Rome. You remember my saying that before. And he failed. Napoleon tried to establish a world empire, and he failed. Kaiser tried it. Hitler tried it. And the communists are trying it today and failing because God said no more world empires. A confederation of ten nations, yes, but no more worldwide empires. And then, out of that mountain there comes a stone, cut out without hands, not of human origin, not of the ingenuity and workings of men, a stone cut out without him. It rolls across that plain of Jura, strikes that image about its feet, and it crumbles 
into the dust and the stone grows and grows and grows until at last it covers the world and that stone is our coming king the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom that he's going to bring with him in the third chapter of second Peter Peter wrote that in order to give you and me assurance that you and me might not become discouraged or disheartened, beloved, as we longingly wait for our Lord. Now he tells us that by God's clock, a thousand years is as one day. Now hold that in your mind. A thousand years, according to God's clock, is one day. Well then, Jesus has been in heaven just two days, you see, just two days. The third day is just about to die. The third day is just around the corner then, you see. And Jesus rose on the third day. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is just about to rise again. The third day is approaching. The king is coming. And Jesus is about to make an appearance, just like it says in the prophecies of God's word. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy blessed word. And we realize that it is divinely inspired. And that no prophecy has ever failed every prophecy every prediction of thy word has come to pass and there are those prophecies in thy word which will yet come to pass and thy word tells us the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget god and so we pray this morning hour for those that are here without jesus christ because if they're without Christ, they're without hope. No promise of eternal life. For the hope and promise of eternal life is found in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you'll speak to the heart of every individual here this hour. And those that are lost, may they come to trust Jesus as their own Lord and Savior. Give to our hearts the assurance, the confidence, the steadfastness that we need in these days when many are slipping away, when many are growing cold and lukewarm and becoming indifferent to their church and the Christian life and the Word of God. But our Father, may this fill our hearts this hour with blessed assurance because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing hymn number... 236. You find it quickly, if you will. God's speaking to your heart this morning hour. And there's a decision that you need to make. Will you make it openly? Will you make it publicly? Because God calls us not to be secret disciples, but to unashamedly stand for him. You're not taking your stand. Will you do it this morning hour? And beloved, I'll tell you, my heart is overwhelmed with the fact that this book is living, that it is not dead letters, that it is not the fanatical ravings of men, but it has proven itself. It's been through the crucible. It's been through the fiery furnace. And yet, here it is, God's word intact. 
intact only because it is the word of God. We should have this morning hour been able to erase any doubt that you had in your mind regarding this blessed revelation from God. Bless that. Bless that. Thank you.